Welcome to the Rapid Hunt brought to you by Cardinals.com for June 15th, 2015. The WSOP is in full swing and we have a couple things to talk about that. We'll talk about the event results for the events we haven't discussed yet. Uh, Phil Helmuth wins another bracelet because apparently he's winning again. And we have our yearly this esoteric thing about the WSOP sucks conversation because, again, that always happens every year as well. And then we'll also talk about Pennsylvania's online poker bill looking not particularly great. Uh, the WSOPstats.com website that the WSOP has released recently regarding their online properties. And if we can get to it, the fact that Amaya is now uh, being traded on, in American stock exchanges and what that means. To help me cover all of this is my co-host, editor, edit, managing editor at PokerScout.com, Robert Delafov. Robert, how's it going? Oh, pretty good, Mark. How are you? Can't, uh, it's uh, doing all right. I mean, the it's it's already getting to kind of the lull of the WSOP, and I don't know how that happened, because usually you get some stories from the series, and this week there wasn't really anything. So that didn't make that, that didn't make the week easy for covering that stuff. But uh, you know, it's, it's been all right, all right week. What about you? I'm um, not too bad. I think there's been a lot going on in the U.S. So that's been kind of keeping us busy, yes. especially with um, not even so much at WSOP, but a couple of these bills that we're going to get to later on, and um, also the obviously the the Nasdaq listing will kind of determine if that is actually anything to really be excited about. Yeah. But, I'm still kind of on the fence on that one. So It's one of those things where it could mean something or it could mean absolutely nothing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that, that doesn't really help us when we're actually having it as a story. It's like this could be a sign or it could just be standard operating procedure for a company. Well, that's why we should talk about it in the middle because we're not sure if it's a headlining story or just a tack-on story. So we kind of compromise with ourselves and... Right down the middle. <laughs> yeah, that seems uh, reasonable enough. Fair enough. All right, so there are quite a few events that took place since we have last talked, and so we're going to get to the the finishing, the winners of the latest events that we have uh, winners for. And so we went up to event number 15, uh, and so this is off of uh, Poker News' website as of the time of recording, so some of them are missing, so forgive me while I try to get a hold of these uh, winners while I'm checking. So event number 16 was the million, uh, the Millionaire Maker, and that was won by Adrian Buckley. He wins 1.275, I should have just said the actual number, million dollars. <laughs> And uh, he gets a bracelet out of that. And uh, the Millionaire Maker, once again, actually getting a millionaire out of the deal. And that shouldn't be too much of a surprise there. Event number 17, as I said before, Phil Helmuth wins this. He wins the 10K Raz event. And we'll talk a little bit about Phil in just a minute. The event number 18 was the 1K Turbo Nullimit Hold'em event. That was won by John Gale for about $300,000 and a bracelet. Event number 19 was a $3,000 six max limit hold'em event. That was won by Matt Elsby. He wins $231,000 and a bracelet for his efforts. Event number 20 was a $1,500 no limit hold'em event. And that was won by Ben Zamani. And he gets, let's see, $460,000 for his efforts. Event number 21 was the 10K Omaha 8 or Better Championship. And that was won by Daniel Alai. He wins $391,000 and a gold bracelet for his efforts. Event number 22 was one of the 1K documents, the 1K Nolimit Hold'em. 
Sam Greenwood wins that one. He wins it for $318,000. And event number 23 was the Deuce to 7 single draw, no limit event, $1,500 buy-in. And the winner of that is Christian Pham, who, as I understand, I, I think that I saw a story about this, that he actually didn't mean to run in this tournament, and then he ended up running the table. So congrats to him. All right, so really the only event that we can that we really could draw any storylines about uh, was Phil Hummuth winning his 14th bracelet. And so, you know, he had been stuck at 11 for a very long time as pretty much every single one of his really, really stupid ultimate bet promotions would lead us to remember, be it the Caesar with the 11, I was going to say prostitutes because it's Vegas, but it was probably models that were with him. For uh, for that, there was the 11-star general, uh, and then uh, he stopped doing that stupid shit and uh, started winning again. Well, so I guess the first thing I have to say is, is you know, is it weird that since Black Friday, Phil Hellmuth has kind of dropped his act and, act, and all of a sudden he's winning bracelets again? And not only that, but he's winning bracelets in non-Hold'em events, which he never did until now? I, I don't think so. Um Phil was going to come around at some point. He's a pretty crafty businessman. And I think he kind of realized that at some point, okay, the Hold'em fields are just getting too big. So let me branch out a little bit. Let me start working on a different game. In fact, as a shrewd businessman, let me pick the game no one plays. Yeah. (laughs) And that is, and it's also the game, like, the only time I have an opportunity to learn a game like Raz is twice a year when I see the live stream on WSOP. So in, in the regulated market, I have no opportunities to learn any kind of alternate game. And, and if Youth is probably thinking the same. There's very few sites, even in the rest of the world, that run uh, Raz on any regular basis. The tournament series don't cover it. Let me get good at this game. Let me master this game and play against these small fields. And hey, you never know. I could win two more bracelets. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. And a second place finish last year as well. So I don't think it's much of a surprise that he's actually winning again. Um, I think he was stuck on 11 since, what, 2007 to about yeah. 12, I think, or 11 or 12. So that's yeah, 2012 was the year that he actually was making a run for player of the year, getting two bracelets and coming in second a lot. Right, right. And, yeah, and he won the, um, what was it, the WSLPE that year as well. Right. Um, so that that was a notable Hold'em event. But, again... A smaller Hold'em event, one he probably calculated that he could actually win. Um, I'm sure he does play, you know, part of it's pure volume. I'm sure he still does play a lot of the the documents and the smaller, you know, 1K, 1500, the other 10K events, everything he can get his hands on. But in terms of, in terms of how understated he is lately, I don't think he has much of a choice. I mean... He's representing three-bet clothing. It's not exactly ultimate bet, you know? <laughs> He's not going to go out of his way to to get a whole entourage. And I prefer it. It was a little bit of a circus back in 2007. But love him or hate him, when he gets set up for a bracelet, the game of poker wins. I think there were probably more players in the stands than there were in the entire event. So good for him. Yeah, I was going to say, at least it seems like someone in the old guard is still winning. Like, we the names i mean you you we've been getting quite a few familiar names in this uh, world series we've had daniel Alai is one one sean deeb is one one max pescatori is one i think robert is rocky is also one so we we're starting to see this year like 
some of the older guard, or I guess the the guard that ESPN chose to show a lot of in prior uh, WSP main events. But uh, it seems like Helmuth, again, after Black Friday, has been consistently uh, doing quite well for himself. So I guess the, the – and this is just a spitballing question, but let's take the large fields out of this main event sign. Let's think the, the large event – or the large money buy-in events. Who do you right. think is the most likely to win a bracelet uh, out of the remaining events that are here? And that includes all the main events that are still left. You know, normally the answer to that is always Ivy. I think it's been <laughs> it's been for the last ten years. It's always been Ivy. I don't think it is this year. Is um, it, I don't he, even think he's been seen uh, he, he playing any events yet. He's playing. He's doing something, and I think overseas or in Macau or, or something. I don't know if it's with the cash games or some sort of sponsorship he's setting up. I I don't know the details to be honest, but I know a he's not motivated. B he's not here and. The real question is, when is he even arriving? Will he even arrive? And I have to assume he will at some point for at least, like, say, the Players' Championship or obviously the main event. But I don't think the motivation is there. And not to knock on him, I don't think he's kept up with his game as well as some of the younger players, especially in Hold'em. He probably could still trump just about any field in any other game, uh, PLO, uh, low ball, et cetera, stud, mm-hmm. et cetera. But it's, it's it's not there. I think he went for, like, very few fantasy points on most teams this year. So I think the consensus of the community is that he's not going to, you know, rack up too many bracelets. Um, then my fallback is always going to be Negreanu because he's always motivated. Yeah. And he's always very vocal and passionate, and then we, we'll see that later. Um I don't think another week is going to pass without us hearing from him. I don't think he's done too much lately. Maybe like a like a not a final table, but like a second to final table is about the best we've seen. But um, we could, and there's also a couple of dark horses. I mean, we saw in the Millionaire Maker that field was stacked yeah. when it was down to 18 players. I think we had Sexton, Busquet, um, as a couple others, uh, Lingren. So we had a lot of the old guard in that tournament. So I think. Just that just proves that the old guard is still pretty serious. I mean, that was a field of seventy three hundred players, I believe, or around that mark. Mm-hmm. And um, I would love to see Mike Sexton win one. He is the best ambassador of the game. I don't think it's even close. Um, I think Negroni was like a long second, but I think Mike is the most respected name in poker right now, yeah. or at least one of them. So it would be nice, you know, for him to take it down to prove that he still has the playing chops as well, because that really solidifies his stance as an awesome ambassador. So that's the one I'm rooting for. I think it's Negreanu, though. Yeah, I think it's Negreanu, too. Actually, although it would be funny to see Eric Lingren win, if only because to see the line of people that'll be <laughs> right behind him to to collect. That's uh, But that's a, a neither here nor there scenario. But Negreanu is actually a good, good enough segue because... Every year, the, the players will, whether rightly or not, complain about something. Whether it's the Rio schedule, the cards, the uh, the the layout of the the rooms, the cash outs, uh, which always are bad at the beginning. Um, some of them are incredibly justifying, like the last week when we talked about the cheater that still has not been punished by the WSOP, and I don't know why. Uh, 
but this year it is back to the decks. It seems like every single time the WSB changes up the decks from whatever is the standard, um, people are not particularly thrilled with it. And Dale Degrano is definitely one of those people. Uh, so he talked to Poker News about this, and of course he's not the only one that's complained, but uh, he said, and I'm quoting the Poker News article uh, where he talked about this, he says, the quality is too thin and they are easily marked. Uh, the bigger problem is the way they manufactured them. The clubs and spades are similar in shape, so it's very difficult to tell them apart, especially if you don't have great eyesight. And the face cards are very difficult to distinguish. And these are all complaints that have been echoed by most people. And I've just kind of truncated the quote a little bit. But so either way, you know, it it does seem like every year or two we have a conversation about the deck specifically being screwed up in some way right i mean it's i remember there was the 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 deck a couple years back that had all the big numbers but all the numbers were indiscernible from one another (laughs) one another and it seems like the wsp just can't seem to get the right playing deck and i i mean are the players right in complaining about this sort of stuff you know, my first inkling is always to be annoyed by this kind of conversation because it's, it's detracting <laughs> from what's going on. But I do get it. Um, there have been issues over the years. I think we go back to 07 when the uh, nines and the six, they couldn't be uh, told apart. Yeah. And, and that's kind of a problem. I think that was the one year they were actually replaced. Um, but going through the years, you know, you're looking at these cards and basically no others for maybe seven weeks straight and that and I, I so i would understand why people might want to complain about that especially this year it actually does hold some weight because we have the cheating scandal and because the grind you said the cards were easily marked and he said in the deuce to seven game he was playing that essentially every card in the deck was marked at some point and the players just agreed to you know, okay, well, every card's marked we're gonna have to deal with it and yeah. you know i won't look at yours if you don't look at mine you know kind of deal <laughs> But I, so in that respect, I do think you need to look at this year's complaints far more seriously than in years past, especially if it does turn out that the investigation leads to marked cards. And going back to your point earlier, I don't know if the WSOP wants to expose if they were marked or not until the series is over. I think they yeah. probably should know by now. This shouldn't be, this is pretty black and white issue. You put the guy's sunglasses on or, or some sort of technology base sunglasses on see if they're marked or don't see if they're marked i don't think it takes weeks upon weeks to figure that out you would you would think that a casino would be really adept at catching cheaters you would think that so something like this seems like it would be quick to solve but i mean let's say they do wait i mean th- th- there's a there's a shitstorm brewing if you wait until July, right? Like, if they wait until after the main event and go, oh, by the way, yeah, that guy cheated, and it was with marked cards. Like, can you imagine? I can't really imagine the level of what the hell uh, that would be coming from players if that happened. Can you? Is there ever a good time, though? That's the problem. If it's it's now, I mean, Ty Stewart's already saying we're not changing the cards. Um, So if he comes out two days later and says, oh, by the way, we're not changing them, and they're marked... Well, maybe that's ba- and maybe the WSP never really reveals what happened. Maybe they say they completed their investigation and we've taken appropriate action. I don't know if it's obviously good publicity for them to say cards were marked. Um, it's it's it's, it's going to be a shitstorm no matter what happens. I don't think there's any way 
to avoid it. No matter how, as long as this guy is exposed for cheating in some capacity, there is going to, and it involves the cards in any degree, is going to be some backlash. No matter what, no matter what, when it is or how it's you know presented to the public. Yeah, I mean, this cheating scandal aside, does the does the WCP really have to do anything about it? I mean, they can change the decks next year, and they probably will. But I mean, this year, all, uh, unless there was a thing you could point to as "aha, this is why you should change the decks," like really, it, would there be a reason to change them midway? Because I, I get Negrano's comments about the marked mm-hmm. cards; that's really bad. The rest of it is a lot of it's the same type of the card doesn't look right type of things. Uh, Let's just, I guess we'll focus on that. If it was okay. just all aesthetics, do you think the WCP would really have a reason to change the cards? No, not at all. I think the nines versus sixes issue was uh, big enough yeah. in 2007. Clubs and spades, too similar because the, the spade is a little bit rounded. There's, uh, I can't see that one because a spade is one unit. Like, you know, it's just, yeah. one, it's just one piece and a club is, is has three sprouting like edges and, and I just because the spade is round doesn't seem to be big enough reason to like get rid of like thousands upon thousands of decks of cards. Um, you know, the real what it really comes down to, and maybe this is even naive of me, but why wouldn't the WSOP just keep the same card manufacturer from the years that the players didn't complain? Yeah, <laughs> you is would it think that hard? That'd be the solution. I mean, I get there's sponsorships involved, and I get there's a big line to, you know, have the card companies be a part of WSOP, but at some point, money is, is not enough. You know, you just got to have quality cards that the, that the players enjoy, and they're not going to complain about. So if, if in 2014 there was, like, two complaints, in 2015 there was, you know, 62 complaints, let's go back to 2014, keep it there, and and have that company going forward. I don't think this is a... Hard, difficult to solve problem, but like I said, maybe that's just me thinking on level one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, depending on, and, and I mean, just to wrap this up, it's interesting that we mentioned that the WSP might not make mention of this marked cards potential with uh, with the guy from the Heads Up event, uh, if only because they have made no small potatoes about banning people for life because of their conduct policy. So it seems like this would fall into the you should probably mention this to people because this is actually something that matters as opposed to a guy, you know, throwing beer bottles off of their balcony. <laughs> so, you know, I I don't really – but I guess it just goes back to the sponsorship thing. Like I don't know how long that this uh, this Medania company is going to be providing cards. Hopefully it's only one year because if it is that easy to mark, that is a terrible, terrible yes. thing for the game. But uh, I, I guess I, I really think that the two will end up being tied because if Negrano is complaining about marked cards, I don't know if he's doing that because he already knew there was a scandal related to marked cards. And that's not a knock against him, but that's just confirmation bias. We're like, oh, the cards clearly must be marked because they were marked before. Uh, but the like I was saying, the aesthetic stuff really doesn't matter. But I think that the if the fact that the cards can be so easily marked is becoming a big issue, the WSP is going to have to address it. And I think Ty Stewart's just kind of falling back on, oh, well, there's really not enough evidence that this is the case. But if it starts becoming that much evidence, they're going to have to do something because oh, the last yeah. thing you need to do is have the WSP be undermined by 
a shitty deck of cards be, that caused a bunch of people to cheat. You now, know, going back, you going. I'm sorry, going back to your point just um, a minute ago. I think I think you make a very valid uh, argument that 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 the players are probably consciously trying to mark these cards or looking at these cards to see if they're easily marked more than they would if that cheating scandal never happened. So. I think any card can be marked pretty easily. It's not that hard to, you know, take a scrape it or take a or bend the edges or whatever. Do whatever you can to mark a card. I don't think it's too difficult. No matter, especially if the cards are thin, like he says, it's probably even easier. Um, but it's it's. I think there is more of a conscious effort. I think everyone's got their eyes open looking for this. But you're right. If if there is confirmation or if there's like a growing backlash in the player community that, hey, you know, we feel these cards are marked, do something, then they're going to have to come out with the investigation at some point, if they know. And I assume, I have to assume at this point they do. Yeah, again, like I said, the, the, this is an industry that has to be incredibly adept at finding cheaters quickly. Yes. Seems like this is one of those scenarios where that particular skill set should bear some fruit. Well, of course, we'll have... More news about the WSP next week. Uh, maybe there'll be some more substantial stuff out there, like maybe they will make notice of the cheaters that and what they will be punished with, etc. But there has been a bit of pessimism, not just from us, but from other poker players, that they're not actually going to address it. So, you know, that's a thing. But, you know, there's plenty of live tournaments and live poker out there. And the WSP is still a fine uh, tournament series, regardless of what some idiots will do to try to gain an edge. And if you want to try to gain an edge, edge without doing anything that is remotely considered cheating, then I would recommend doing a poker training site and learning from the, the best poker pros out there. And the best way to do that is to go to cardrunners.com. Now, Cardrunners has... A few videos that range from multi-table tournaments that are very large, low-stake MTTs. So I think that would be the sort of thing that if you were to do a 1K or 1.5K No Limit Hold'em event, the World Series. The There's a video on the Sunday Majors. So that would be kind of your larger tournaments, uh, at uh, your larger buy-in tournaments at the World Series. Or if you just want to play something other than uh, No Limit Hold'em altogether, there's some videos on 6-Max PLO as well. So there's a few ways that you can get a hold of card runners. Of course, you can actually get a monthly subscription. You have a seven-day free trial if you do decide to go that route. If you're not in the United States and in a place that has access to the iPoker network, you can actually get free card runners for an extended period of time. Go to cardrunners.com, take a look at the upper banner, and you'll see a, a link called CR Deals. If you click that link and you try to join William Hill Poker or Titan Poker, if you haven't haven't joined them before, you go through those links and you can get up to three months of free card runners. And I believe one of those options will give you a copy of Holder Manager. So be sure to check out cardrunners.com for all your poker training needs at your earliest convenience. So we've got some other news that is going to be uh, U.S.-centric, as it always is. Uh, the first thing is the online poker bill in Pennsylvania. And so this is SB 900, and this has been uh, introduced in the Pennsylvania Senate. And they have this is supposed to cover both land-based and online-based gaming. And the online side is actually going to have poker casino plays. So they're taking the New Jersey side and not the Nevada side. 
That said, there is a few things in the bill that would seem like this is a bill that is destined to either die immediately or meant to kill the casino industry in Pennsylvania. We're not quite sure which. The first thing, and I have to, and when I was writing the outline, uh, I had a funny exchange over in the text of the outline. But the uh, first thing is the tax rate. So the tax rate in Nevada is 6.75%. In New Jersey, it's about twenty, uh, 17.5%. And it's 15%, but then they pay a 2.5% tax to a development authority. The tax in Pennsylvania for online gambling will be 54%. Are you serious? <laughs> what a disaster this bill is. And, and this is... I don't even know what the worst talking point is here, but I, I guess it's a good place to start as this tax rate. So, yeah. All right. So I think this is being justified because they tax slot machines at the same rate in their brick-and-mortar casinos. Um, I believe they tax table games at 16% and the slots at 54 Okay, that's pretty bad for the um, – for the casino industry, it's way worse for online poker, though, because this is an industry that's, that's significantly smaller, despite what Bob Green of Parks thinks. Um, so, like it says in the, the online poker report article, it's impossible for any Pennsylvania site to operate even close to break even um, with this sort of tax rate. So, there's no way this can hold. Now, by contrast, John Payne's bill from the Assembly has a 14% tax rate. So we're talking a three and a half uh, degree difference in magnitude between the two. That that seems significant to me. It's 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 a bit of a gap. And I think yeah. that, that might be something that they'll be uh, kind of trying to figure out in conference. But yeah, it, just on face, that seemed ridiculous, right? Like over 50% tax rate just because slots uh, are taxed at that rate. And that still is sustainable, I guess, because plenty of casinos in Pennsylvania have slots, so obviously that that works. But if you're trying to tax the rake of a poker game at 50 cents on the dollar or 55 cents on the dollar, the rake, basically in a one-two limit, uh, no-limit hold'em game, the rake's going to be about as much as the stakes are. And so that's not actually going to work. Uh, And one of the other things that I kind of was thinking, like, Okay, so that, this is really bad. But then we get to the licensing fee for the casinos, and it's $10 million. <laughs> now, um, <yeah>. the, <laughs> the casinos in Pennsylvania are not incredibly small, but they're not very large either. The limiting of licenses is another thing in this bill, but that's kind of a very Pennsylvania thing. Uh, there's only a limited number of licenses for limited types of entities. And there's actually three types of entities that we'll get to a little bit later, but they all have a specific number of licenses. But this one's kind of the big one. It's the, I mean, is this a, is this a product of not knowing how to regulate online or trying to do some like pure analog between what they do in live and what they're doing online? Or is this some sort of like tinfoil hatty way to try to kill legislation for the year? By having a bill that is so far in the other direction than the assembly bill, there just seems no way that there's going to be any compromise. Yeah, and I'm going to get to that in a second. I like you know, I'm going to explore first is this whole broader picture of the the money. The first point you made 
why are they charging so much? And I, I don't know. I think what it comes down to is Senator Tomlinson's argument for this is that the casinos will be providing players with too much incentive to use their online properties if the tax rate is lower. That argument is complete bullshit because <laughs> yeah. the casino industry is a $3 billion industry in Pennsylvania. It's the second largest of any U.S. state. It trumps New Jersey at this point by quite a significant margin. I say about 25%. Mm-hmm. The online, the way I see it and the way I think Eilers Research sees it and uh, Poker Scout sees it, a couple others, the reasonable voices. We're not talking, talking about... Uh, you know, uh, Morgan Stanley and Deutsche Bank with their, their $5 billion estimates. Um, <laughs> we see a 200 to $300 uh, million dollar industry. Now, that's about, you know, one-tenth the size of the casino industry. Why in hell would a, 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 a casino who can maybe generate 10% more at best from, from an online uh, entity ever go out of their way to draw people away from their casino to the online site. And furthermore, we've already seen on multiple occasions, I don't know how many times we can beat people over the stick with this, is that online drives land-based, land-based does not drive online. So it's just not a good argument for this this $10 million and this 54%. Now getting to your second point, I think this was completely. I think this bill is significant in two ways. I think it's significant because the Senate now has a presence. We needed it. We needed yeah. the Senate to have a presence. We have to have it. But 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 going further, um, and and I think they're trying to cover all bases. I think they're they're, and we'll get to this later with some of the other points. I think that they have to cover. They have to throw every ridiculous uh, proposition out there now. So it's on the table when the when the, the, the hearings come out. Right. And I think that's more it than anything right now. The thing that I I look at when I, when I look at this is uh it doesn't it, it it doesn't add up. Again, well again and the same the same thing where you know online drives live based casinos, they were saying time and time again we're got to beat this drum incessantly mm-hmm. that the online clientele and the land clientele are were at least at the beginning mutually exclusive they weren't yeah. losing any business because all the business they were getting from their online property was new business or people that had not even bothered to play anywhere remotely close to the borgata in years yeah it so... makes sense it <laughs> made sense i mean you had because online are a different demographic. Um, we're, they were scattered all over the state. The, the, the casinos and, and Pennsylvania has the same issue because they're not scattered in, um, you know, they're not in one area, the casinos, but they're in about three areas. And the state's five times the size of New Jersey. So there's not going to be too many. A lot of online players are not going to have the ability just to get to any casino, you know, at a stone's throw. Um, but in New Jersey, yeah, it's been Bergata, Caesars, all. 85, 90% were not in our database. Now they are. And I think it's the online that's providing them with the incentives via comps, via sweepstakes, via brand recognition to drive them down to Atlantic City to play. And 
it's not going to work the other way around. The, the demographic that plays in casinos are older, more uh, generally female, um, or at least more evenly distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, distributed, rather. Sorry. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're more varied. And I don't think they really have an inkling to play online. They're not going to just start playing online and, and abandon their, their land-based play. So this argument holds no water for their, these, these exorbitant... Um, rates on on taxes at the licensing fee of particularly like you mentioned so many smaller casinos hardly you know they don't make that much more than that to begin with they're not going to play to pay 10 million for for an online property yeah it definitely seems like an unnecessarily insurmountable hurdle mm-hmm. the uh, what now we get to what the players would have to deal with is if they wouldn't already have to deal with a lot anyways the fact that they would there would probably be no bonuses, no incentives to play. Just please give us money. We're hemorrhaging cash right now. Just having these servers online. Right. If you're within twenty miles of a casino, you must sign up in person. I. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's the obvious problem with this. This is what this is basic. What this is saying on face is if you live within twenty miles of a casino. Now, I don't know, maybe th- maybe this is just uh, the article itself or the actual bill, I'm not quite sure, but that, it seems to imply that you can only go to that casino. Uh, we had a two-hour debate in Skype, um, Chris Grove, John Mahaffey, Steve Roddick, and myself, ah. as to what the hell this clause actually means. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that took two hours. And there's some linguists among us. There's some very well-versed people. Um and no one can figure it out. I think the lead, and I'm going to actually post an article about this on Monday, just one article on just on what the hell the different interpretations of this clause are. One is that if you live within 20 miles of a casino, you have to in-person register at that casino, but only the ones that you live within 20 miles of. See, that would be the one that makes More the most sense. sense of a crappy situation. But, but let's break that one down. That one says, basically, uh, uh, provides incentive for players to play at online at casinos related to properties that are not local to them. Yeah. It's easy. If I live in Philadelphia, I'm not playing on Parks' online casino. I'm not playing at Sugar House's online casino. Even though those are the ones I'd be most likely to go, the, go to, I'm never playing on them. I'm playing on Rivers in Pittsburgh. Yeah, Tell right. me the logic there. <laughs> uh, of which there is none. There is none. Now, the second uh, interpretation, which we kind of came up with, is, is even worse. Because it says if you live within 20 miles of any casino, you have to in-person register for all of them. And I can see, I don't think that's it. But if, if you read the language a certain way, and we read it about five different ways, that's number two on the candidate list. So in that scenario... You would just never sign up to any online properties, whether they were local or, you know, 500 miles away. And you certainly wouldn't sign up for one, um, you know, that would say rivers. You're, you know, in that case, you would sign up for your local ones, if any. Mm-hmm. But then you're limiting yourself to a couple casinos. Now, we all know that in New Jersey, New Jersey's casino, especially the online casino revenue, but a poker to an extent, too, is completely dependent on players signing up for multiple sites i think i was running some numbers and we have like seven hundred thousand signups 
9 million people. And if you tell me the prevalence of online poker or an online casino is 8 to 9% in New Jersey, you'd be out of your mind. It's more like 2, which means, which it is in the UK, which is the only comparison I could really find. Now we're talking that the average person, if that, those, that ratio holds up, has about four and a half online sites. And now mm. you're going to take this ability away from Pennsylvania residents to have multiple accounts? Well, that's not going to work. No shot. And then the scenario that I guess I was alluding to where if you you would be required to sign up in person only at the casinos that you were within 20 miles of. Seems oh, yeah. Even more draconian and yeah, unnecessary. That, that was that was the interpretation number three. <laughs> I can't see that one. I, I hope that's not the case. Yeah, that would hopefully just... not be it. So, but, yeah, Bill's not looking particularly good. No, it's not. It gets worse. So, <laughs> there's three types of casinos in in Pennsylvania. There's racinos, which is, you know, racetracks that have slot machines or whatever in them. There are purely just gambling houses or just casinos and then there's resorts and resorts resorts fall under category three of uh pennsylvania's online or not online pennsylvania's uh, gambling industry and in sb 900 these resorts are not allowed to start up an online gambling in uh entity at all which makes no sense until you get even worse and realize that Valley Forge, which is one of these two places, is partnered with BWIN Party, and they would probably like to cash in on that partnership, and this bill explicitly prevents that. Yeah, this let's, all sounds uh, bad. Yeah, let's let, let's get it out of the way that Lady Luck would probably never get an online gaming license anyway, so there really was no need. I think they make like. They make not that much money. I don't know how much it is, but they're they're a very small casino because they're Category Three, and I don't think Category Three casinos can have more than six hundred slot machines. I think five ninety nine is the cap. I could be wrong, but I, I know it's low. It might be right. eight hundred. Um, so they they and they charge resort fees for to get into the casino. They they just don't do that much. Valley Forge, on the other hand, does do something. And let me let me start all this out by saying, am I the only one surprised? Or am I the only one not, you know, only one surprised by B Win par- partnering with Valley Forge? Or who the hell are they? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I expected a, um, you know, a, a Parks or a um, maybe a Rivers. You know, some of the, some of the big dogs. Well, we right. got Valley Forge, and I, I guess that's a testament to how how interested they actually are in the, in the U.S. regulated market. <laughs> but um, Okay, so as far as it, I don't like like you mentioned, I have no idea why they would do this. Um, if you're trying to fragment the casino operators and you're trying to create another California, well, good job. This is a great first <laughs> yeah. step. Yeah. You know, we saw what happened in California. The, 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 the we see it every year. Yeah, we see yeah, we see it every year, and it's more frustrating every year because. You're making this incremental progress of, of two steps forward, one step back, and and some some years one step forward, two steps back, where everything just grinds to a halt, and we just wait till next year, and next year has promise in January, and each month that promise diminishes, where we have Gatto saying, oh, 80-20 in favor, 50-50 next month, and no shot in, you know, by, by April or May. And and we can't have Pennsylvania go down the same path. People are going to lose faith in this industry. 
very quickly if we don't get Pennsylvania. Probably need them this year. So my hope, again, and I'm using this for every point, is that this is just something to get every talking point on the table when the hearings arise, to satiate every possible party that's involved. And then when they all say, screw this, we want Payne's bill, and then the discussion's over. Let's hope that's what happens. (laughs) This bill is so far in the opposite direction of what people want. Those be like, okay, let's not do that, and let's do this much more reasonable sounding bill. There was, uh, there were definitely in California. They had that last year, I think, where there was a bill that just seemed so restrictive that nobody liked it, and it was, it made the other bills sound better. But there were so many other insurmountable issues that didn't make a difference. So I, I do wonder if this is. One of those where this is how bad we can make this bill. Mm-hmm. Let's see what the consensus is here. Oh, you all hate it? Now suddenly the the other bills start looking a little bit more measured and reasonable. So I don't know that they weren't considered that to begin with. But I guess this is just a sign of how far you can tilt stuff in the other way. So hopefully Pennsylvania legislators uh, do not take this bill very seriously. Because if they do... I sent as written. I sense a quite a bit of uh, opposition from the current uh, gambling owners in the state of Pennsylvania. But I guess we'll see as the hearings ramp up in the Granite State. Oh, wait, the Keystone State. Shit. All right, I knew I was going to get it right eventually. I was like, Granite State. That doesn't sound right. That's got to be New Hampshire. Right? Yeah. This but is what happens. Just get online poker in 2047. Who knows. All right, WSOPstats.com breaks into the market, and they are effectively what poker table ratings or other sub or, or the uh, I don't remember the sit and go site that you were able to oh sh- uh, shark something. Anyways, so there, there's some there's sites out there that allow you to track tournaments and sit and goes for particular players. WSOPstats.com now does that natively for obviously the WSOP web. Uh, web sites they have in nevada and new jersey so you know we don't have it's and they have a decent amount of data that you can mine just by looking up somebody's name and obviously they don't have the type of information that you could mine from like you know the what their c-bet value is but you can get a good sense of how often they cash in tournaments and that sort of thing so we have a non-third-party online tournament tracker that's nice right I guess so. <laughs> it doesn't do that all that much right now, but I think the um, the basis of something cool is very there. Is there? Um, we have to see how it how it plays out. Right now, you know, you can see pretty basic stats. I think you can see, um, you know, how where they finished on final tables or how many final tables they have. I think it's only tournaments right now. I don't think we have sit and goes and cash games just yet. But I know. Um, Head of online poker Bill Reaney said they are in the pipeline. So, and there are a few uh, miscellaneous features attached to it. They kind of feel like tack-ons right now, but I think this is good for the industry. I think because you know you're going to do a, a, a um, Google search of WSOP, and now you're not only going to see their their um, software, but you're going to see an affiliated, um, you know, you know, authorized site that that has all the statistics and people. May or may not gravitate to that. I mean, the recreational player might not love that they're being bum-hunted and looked at all the time. But um, 
But, you know, I, I think it's a pretty useful tool, and I think it will attract players. And it's an alternate advertising resource for WSLP. So a lot of positives to come out of this. It really depends on which direction they go, because it feels like it's right now it's a bit of a mess. But we'll see. So, I mean, I guess, obviously, they've just kind of thrown this. I mean, the site was released, uh, there was a press release for it, like, last week. Yeah. So, it's very, very new. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, I mean, how does this differ from something like Poker Table Ratings or Shark Scope was the site I was thinking of? Yes, that's the uh, one. As, uh, as that's the, so Poker Table Ratings was more of the, you know, the hand, uh, hand data mining and the, and Shark Scope is basically what WSP Stats says now, just with set and goes and everything else included. I mean, do you think that, do you think that they'll be gravitating more toward what one of those sites do or are they going to try to do their own thing? Um, they're gonna, they're not going to go as in depth as a uh, poker table ratings ever. I can't see it. Um, I don't think they want to. Right. I don't think they they want to give players access to that kind of detail. Remember, we already have a, a site in the regulated market, um, the Poker DB, that does cover party poker, WSOP, does everything that WSOP stats site does with regards to data mining. Does it better? Does it more detailed? So it would kind of behoove WSLP to go down that same path exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and and they're never going to go the path of poker table ratings because they're a, they're a um, subscription site. So this is definitely not ever going to be a – I hope not. Um, there's, they're making so much a big deal about everything being free on the site. It would kind of be a little bit hypocritical at some point to go against that. So I don't see it happening. But, you know, those, those sites, poker table ratings, are very much criticized because – they afford players who purchase that subscription with a very big edge. And it's it's kind of like pay to win is the big you know phrase the kids are using these days. Or <laughs> I know there might be something else by now. I can't ever keep up. <clears throat> but um yeah, I don't see it going down that path. And you know, Shark Scope was I think started off mostly as a free service, or you got like the first five searches for free a day, and then after yeah. that you had to pay. And what I used it at least in 2007. But I think something worth noting with both of those sites is that they don't concern themselves with the regulated market. And I don't think, I don't know if they ever will. I mean, they'd have to really see the viability in doing that, you know, the cost of getting those feeds and, 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 um, you know, in a market that's really rather niche right now. So that's kind of the biggest deal for me is that you can get information there that you can only get on one other site. Um, and, 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 and really it comes down to if WSOP kind of says it gets their way. And and has the poker DB and other sites pull down their their uh, data or allows players to you know or just gets rid of it all com- makes them get rid of it all completely. Well, then you only have one site that has this, these stats, and that's that's very relevant. Um, you know, if you're not getting them anywhere else, it's got you gotta go somewhere. So that right. that's obviously the biggest talking point. I think the last one is this whole deal where you know they're gonna let you opt out. And I think we need more of that in our data mining services where players who do not want to be searched don't have to be. Um, that seems fair. Um, they contact the site and say, hey, take me off your list, and they will. And we need more of that in the industry. So that's probably my second biggest, you know, uh, the second biggest appeal of WSLP stats right now It would be the ability to opt out. Yeah, I, I do think that that's one thing that you don't really get from the other sites because they just kind of it's a vacuum 
it's mm-hmm. a vacuum cleaner effectively they suck in all the data and they just kind of output it from there i do think shark scope had uh, an option where you could opt out or at least have like the vast majority of your stats scrubbed yeah later on i think they did yeah you're right but you still have to pay for it, so that wasn't uh, an ideal scenario, whereas I don't think they're really doing that for WCP stats. I guess the last question I have for this is, you know, what will it take for WCP stats to become a success, or is that, like, entirely linked to how successful the WCP sites are in Nevada and New Jersey? Yeah, I mean, there's only so success, you know, how much success you can achieve if your market is an average of 400 to 500 players. Right. Um it is dependent completely. Um, you know, as, as WSLP grows, this this site will also grow. But the question becomes, how much will it grow in proportion to WSLP.com growing? And I think that really becomes dependent on a few other variables. One being this whole free um, videos from training videos from uh, the, what is it called the GrinderSchool.com, which is emphasizing the low to mid stakes play. How much? How much do we get from them? Um, do we get more voices like Nolan Dollar, who's starting to write commentary? Will he just be like a, a one-trick pony, right, once a month with some funny quibs about the industry? Or will he offer some of his, you know, more in-depth insight? And will we get more personalities? Will we get a Greg Merson, you know, writing commentary? Or or whoever else, you know, is affiliated with WSOP or a... Um, you know, I almost said Mike sex next him, but that was gonna that would make him no, have to cross that, that would make work. him have to cross lines from the WPT. It could happen, um, you know, but uh, unlikely. <laughs> but yeah, we incredibly need another. <laughs> but but incredibly unlikely. But the <laughs> but the point is, we need a few more personalities in there and writing regular commentary. So we, I, I'd like to see those two things evolve. I'd like to see the cash games get implemented because that's something we don't see too often. But if that is the case, it's not entirely dependent on WSOP growing, but I think you made a, a great point in saying, yes, this, is, this has to be you know, relative to the size of, of the site. And right now, how big can it get? Now, I'd like to kind of conclude by saying that if WSOP kind of makes us a blatant um, SEO marketing tool, which it kind of starting to look like with all mm. the links to promotional schedules that we can get on four other sites, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the deposit now, the promotional schedule, the upcoming tournaments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It is a little gimmicky. And if you go that route, poker players are smart, and they're going to kind of pick up on it and not really take much stock. You can't, like, litter these kind of sites. They're data an- analytical sites. You don't want to litter them with too many pictures of Nolan Dollar. It just... My opinion. I don't think. Yes, I don't think that. That's, <laughs> that's exactly the best way to do it. All right, our last story, which we get to really quickly, is that Amaya is now on Nasdaq, which means PokerStars is now on Nasdaq. So they have been obviously trading in Toronto on the uh, Toronto Stock Exchange, but now they're trading on the tech-heavy Nasdaq, and they have, I think, the ex- exact same. It's AMA, so they use the exact same stock ticker. It's they're not, they didn't issue new shares. I think they're just being traded now. You can buy shares with American dollars instead of Canadian dollars. It's not a massively big piece of news, unless you try to read between the lines for no freaking reason and go, oh, this is just another sign that PokerStars is going to be in New Jersey soon. Does it actually mean that, or does it just mean that a business decided to get traded on NASDAQ and that's it? Probably the latter. We kind of already know. 
but we can't ever say anything about New Jersey. We assume we know when uh, New Jersey uh, is gonna is gonna come out with Poker Stars. So we really should, you know, since we already have a kind of a definitive timeline from the horse's mouth, which I actually do take some stock in, as opposed to Lesniak's uh, constant rants. Um, <laughs> So I do believe they are gonna we are gonna see them in the third quarter, which actually starts in about two and a half weeks. Um, right. So I don't think it'll be in July though. It'll probably September thirty. September they'll, they'll create a September thirty first just so they can wait till the absolute last minute. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, so I don't think it means too much. I think on some level, you know, no new shares were issued like you mentioned, and then. It, it maybe it does establish Amaya's you know increased presence in the United States, and I think it it does foreshadow their ability to actually you know start offering their services to U.S. residents. But and and maybe even going further, it's also nice to see a publicly traded online company you know establish that kind of foothold. We didn't have that before. You know, you remember the only reason companies remained in the U.S. after the uh, UIGEA. I'm glad I actually spelled that right for once, um, is because they weren't. They were privately traded. The ones that were publicly listed in the, on the London Stock Exchange, they were gone. So right. it's nice to have that online gaming presence. If anything, I'll take that from this. I don't think it's a big deal otherwise, though, no. Yeah, I think that the... I mean, there is a certain irony in being able to buy Pokestar stock, but God forbid if you actually play on that site in every state of the union at the moment, uh, while, uh, well, as you mentioned, the New Jersey situation is... Un- unless Amaya is completely whiffs on this Q3 2015 uh, prediction, which I would think would look really, really bad for mm. them, uh, we'll have poker, at least in New Jersey... I mean, there really are only so many places they could go right now. There's only three states. They're not up in Delaware because that's a monopoly. That's a designed monopoly for 88. Right. Uh, there's no partner in Nevada yet. Um, the and really, that state's proving that really you can only have one room in mm-hmm. Nevada because uh, Ultimate Poker still the most unfortunate name ever, uh, second only to Epic Poker. <laughs> the they folded, and then of course there's there, there's real gaming from South Point, but not really. Which we're not sure it's actually real. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it, it, it's a little unclear if the six people that are playing on there right now are actually playing, or they're just sitting idle in a lobby just to make the count go above zero. Right. Uh, and then so and then of course we have New Jersey, so where they are actually going to be. So there's still a very limited number of places that Amaya can go, but of course this com- the, the company bought Poker Stars. Uh, under the gamble that the United States is going to open up. And, of course, they're going to do just fine anyways with the rest of their world operations. But uh, getting a foothold in the U.S. would be kind of nice. But there's still this small problem of the fact that they're being invested. They have a securities investigation going on, and that's not particularly ideal, is it? I don't think it's that bad. Um, it's No, it's not ideal. It never <laughs> is. Um you know, we have to keep in mind that there's been no formal complaints against the company, which is, that's a positive. Um, it's a plus. So it's, it's a plus. But we're going further. Investigations as to acquisitions of this magnitude, very routine. 
Um, this is a $5 billion investment with the stock leading up starting to skyrocket before it even happened based on speculation. Mm-hmm. It, it, and, and we know it's impossible for any deal. There's always musings of this kind of deal before they happen. So this is probably going to go the same way all of those other ones have gone. Um, you know, what I do think is significant is um, what Adam from Eilers mentioned. He says, and I'll actually quote him, gaining a listing on a major exchange like the Nasdaq sends a message to investors on a level it signals that things are okay on the regulatory front. And I, I do agree with this, that it's either – now, there is a 5% chance that Maya is doing this to kind of go under the guise that it's okay on the yeah, regulatory they're front. they're bluffing a bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe they are, you know. But um, I, I do think it's more a case of, hey, everything is all right. Yeah, that does seem to be the overall case here. I mean, the, re- the biggest reason we mentioned this story is because last week we had the uh, the story that the the uh, VA House ban ran an ad that basically pointed out that PokerStars is a corrupt pile of a company that, uh, by the way, is being investigated for security. Or sorry, their headquarters was raided for secu- uh, in a securities investigation, fraud investigation, or whatever the the exact quote was. I'm probably paraphrasing. A little bit there. Oh, no, but that's pretty similar. Yeah, it, it, sound, it sounds about right because it, it was the fear, uncertainty, and doubt like layer cake that you were getting with that uh, with that ad. But <laughs> very well said. Yes. So the the counter is stuff like this, where Amaya is getting listed on Nasdaq, and generally speaking, you don't put the effort in unless you know you're going to be all right. I could be wrong. Like you said, there's a five percent chance where they're actually deep shit, and we just don't know it yet. But uh, you know, I think that uh, I think this is a good sign for at least Amaya as a whole. Whether that's a good sign for the regulatory landscape in the U.S. on the poker side, I don't really know. But it's a good sign for Amaya at least, and that's uh, something because PokerStars does still kind of rule the world in the in that regard. That's gonna do it for this week's show, uh, Robert. Do you have any final words? Yeah, don't take much stock into the Pennsylvania bill. If anyone's worried about that thing actually passing, get it out of your head now. It's not going to pass. It's probably a, that's probably the best way to say that that thing we ranted about for 15 minutes, it's because of how absolutely bad it is that it has no chance of going anywhere. Yep. Also, it means that you didn't have to listen to that segment, but oh well, you already did. But it was fun. <laughs> yes, exactly. It gave us a chance to rant about something that didn't have to do with California. That just gets depressing for me oh, at this God, point. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, all right, so thank you very much for listening to this week's Rabbit Hunt. We are on SoundCloud now, and it's The Rabbit Hunt. Of course, we still are posting our videos on Mondays, but I think we're actually going to get the podcasts out on SoundCloud on either Saturday or Sunday, depends on when I actually feel like uploading it. But the videos will still be showing up on Monday on Carters.com. And we're trying to revive our social media presence, at least slightly. If you have any questions or comments, just send a, twi- a tweet to The Rabbit Hunt, all one word, none of those underscores. And, one of, and either we'll respond on that account or we'll respond with our own Twitter uh, handles as well. So... For Robert DeLaFave, I am Mark Hagan. Thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. Go get the tables, be they online or live. This has been the Rabbit Hunt brought to you at Cardinals.com. See you next week. <laughs>